going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. A little later on in the show, I'm going to revisit this topic, but I want to ask right off the hop. What is the meal between lunch and supper? Or apparently it's dinner, although I thought dinner was what you had at noon. That's going to be part of the discussion is what is dinner? What is supper? What is lunch? We'll get to the bottom of that one. I had a fun conversation uh, earlier in the day. But what do you call the meal between? Because you have brunch. You have breakfast and lunch, which means brunch. So is it lupper? Uh. Anyways. Greetings and salutations, friends. A happy Thursday. Hope all is well with you and yours. We have a jam-packed show to get to, and we're going to start things off with former Calgary Police Chief Roger Chaffin. He was speaking with the Calgary Chamber of Volunteer Organizations earlier today uh, surrounding some of the issues that happen in corporate culture, particularly as we went through the Me Too movement and the harassment allegations that were going through the Calgary Police Service. He was there to speak what he found, what some of the things that he was surprised by some of the things that he learned about. We're going to be joined by former police chief Roger Chaffin in just a couple of minutes to open up the show. Then I have a feeling we get a few people's blood pressure up because we're going to talk speed limits again. Uh, The city is looking to get that conversation rolling again because as has been uh, very thoroughly reported by our Aurelio Perry over the course of the last number of months, there are are consultations within the public happening within the next month or so or starting up potentially in the next month or so and then eventually getting back to city council on whether or not we need a more uniform speed limit in residential areas in the city do we need to go to 30 do we need to go to 40 do we keep it as is and even though it's as is right now, is it really that easy to figure out how fast speed limit really is in the city? Because it seems as though it depends on the community that you're driving in. <sighs> Sorry, I had to get that little. I channeled my inner Ace Ventura for a second there. Uh, so we're going to talk to Tony Churchill, the lead for traffic safety within the city of Calgary, to talk not only about what is coming up on the consultation front, but also who's going to be consulting and ha- consulted and how you can get involved in it. Plus, there is an event happening, a conference happening this weekend that I'm going to allude to as well when it comes to traffic safety. Uh, Canmore and five other communities across Canada have been given Community Energy Knowledge Action a part, uh, Partnership uh, funding from the Federation of Canadian Municipalities for the implementation of renewable energy. After 4.30, we're going to be joined by uh, one of the uh, the sustainability, uh, sustainability coordinator, there we go, from the town of Canmore to talk about what exactly is planned for that community with that funding. I'm going to get the blood pressure back up again because we're going to bring up cycling again, but in a different sense after five o'clock. And it has to do with something that came out during yesterday's committee meeting. Did you know that the city of Calgary is hiring a cycling coordinator? Beyond that, did you know that the city is hiring a walking coordinator? And did you also know that these positions Pay anywhere from eighty six to one hundred and thirty five ish thousand dollars a piece. Joe Magliocca is going to join us after five o'clock. To I'm going to ask him some questions, but I have a feeling he's got a few questions of his own heading into Monday's council meeting. Uh, as mentioned, we're going to talk some forgot, uh, forgotten food from your childhood. I'm thinking piggies in a blanket, but and I know that we're supposed to be sophisticated as we get older and become adults and all that kind of thing. 
I don't necessarily believe in it. I still believe that you can have a bologna sandwich with macaroni in the middle of it. No, not no bread. Like the the bun is your uh, bologna, and you have the the sloppy macaroni in the middle. Yeah. I also like peanut butter and dill pickle sandwiches, but that's a different story for a different day. Think about some of your favorite foods from your childhood. We're going to talk about that after 5 o'clock and after 5.30. We're going to have an extended conversation with our own Faisal Carmali about what would happen if you won the lottery. And why we ask that, one family in the States has won it three times. How does that happen? But even beyond that is how do you plan ahead if you've got a little bit of cash at hand? If it's not enough to change your life and make you quit your job, what do you do with you know, a million dollars. We're going to start things off with former police chief Roger Chaffin here on Calgary Today. As mentioned, former Calgary Police Chief Roger Chaffin joining the Calgary Chamber of Voluntary Organizations today as part of a speaker series conversation about the lessons learned from harassment issues that were certainly front and center during his tenure as chief of the Calgary Police Service. And Roger joins us now. Thank you so much for the time today, sir. Yeah, you bet. Um, it's nice to hear you again. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's focus first and foremost on your message to today's uh, crowd and what you hope to get people thinking about. Well, I think by and large, uh, you know, there's a bit of the conversation today was around the overall experience uh, on the issues of creating a respectful workplace and workplace culture. I think one message you want to send out is that if from a leadership side of any organization, large or small, if you don't think this is happening in your organization, uh, then you are deluding yourself. Uh, these are inherent in the relationships between people and the necessity for leadership to have insight to this, to have um, programs to deal with this, to be proactive in addressing um, harassment and bullying in the workplace. Um, if you're not already doing this, then you are way behind. Did you feel at all while you were chief that you were falling behind a little on that front and that's why a lot of these uh, claims and complaints were coming forward during your tenure? No, not at all. Um, when I, I was saying to the room today, when I was being interviewed by the commission, these are some of the topics that I raised during the interview process that I believe these things were happening or about to happen and are about to become an issue for the service. Uh, you know, I, I obviously would rather they have not been quite as intense as they were, but, uh, but no, they didn't catch me by surprise at all. And I think it was a process that we had started years before I was the chief. Uh, you know, we worked through the previous executive about trying to understand these issues, about researching the organization, trying to figure out exactly what it is that we've got in our hands. And, and it sounds simple to say change your culture, but it takes quite a bit when you have so many moving parts, so many people, people who historically have been there for decades and assume that just by a wave of the wand or a policy statement, you're going to change culture because you have to get into their belief systems, their perceptions, their biases, their uh, their career history and be able to hear them out, educate and be able to then stand up reform. So the next chief is going to have a different platform to work with, but you know, it's still going to take some time to fully accomplish that goal of cultural reform. And you mentioned the cultural reform side of it, and how difficult is it when you have uh, such a big organization, number one, and then beyond that, number two is a culture that is, uh, whether it's good or bad, depending on your perception of the of the police service, uh, the culture is there. And so to make a change, you have to uh, take almost baby steps because of how big it is. 
Yeah, it started with, it actually does start with the idea that I've been there for, you know, plus decades. And so accepting intimate responsibility for the state organization, I think somebody somewhere has to say, stop blaming other people and pointing around and say, this is on me and we will take strides to legitimately fix it. But you do then also have to commit to the idea this is going to take time. Hiring, I was talking in the room today about the idea of hiring an HR expert would somehow fix our problems is naive um, at best. I mean, that was a necessary step for us to take, but there's much more to be accomplished in how people are brought into the organization, how leadership addresses them, how they engage with them, how they develop over time, how leadership develops over time so that we're able then to create a fairer, more respectful workplace all around. Waiting till bad things happen and then creating programs around the bad things is, you know, fraught to fail uh, because you just simply can't wait till people have had terrible experiences and say, now we've fixed that. Uh, Someone endured an awful experience that they will never forget. How do you tell people that you have to be patient in a time where there is that almost expectation of, I'll call it instant gratification, but that, hey, we need to get on it now. And if we're not making any progress as of you know two minutes from now, then it's a process that is basically going to be set to fail. Well, that's, I, I probably would be very resistant to ever saying to people, be patient, because it, you know, when you're in the midst of the experience, you passionately want some sense of justice or reform or some accountability or some payback for what you've been through, being told to be patient um, uh, will, will not be met well. The patience discussion I had with governance, with politicians, with our senior management team, you had to be acutely present in the moment with the issues that you were dealing with while you were trying to create a better structure for the organization. And so I, I think I'd be cautious about overplaying the give us time card, uh, although that's what you said is very true. Uh, patience is required. Uh, but, you know, there's uh, that one I can be on both sides of the coin on. Uh, patience is governance, but the people who are experiencing bad experiences want action now. You mentioned something there that that piqued my interest, and that is the idea of, hey, especially weirdly as a police chief, you're at the head of the table, but at the same time, you're kind of middle management that way because you're trying to answer to your officers. At the same time, you also have powers that be that need to be answered to. And so how do you strike that balance so that you make sure that both sides are uh, appeased? Well, I try to be completely candid with the governance group, our police commission, so they're aware of these issues uh, and aware of what we were trying to accomplish. And so I think that's one way. I think the amount of time we spent face-to-face talking to employees, engaging on issues was the way you can sort of help uh, um, deal with the here and now issues. And uh, it's hiring the right people, bringing in the right kind of programs, getting through some experiences, accepting you're going to have highs and lows in this process. There are going to be some terrible things that have occurred while you were trying to fix every problem you have while you're trying to fix something seems to set you backwards but one of the big things we're trying to accomplish with was above that was legislative reform is trying to get a voice to say that our police act needs to change it needs to offer a more intense healthy environment for which these issues can be raised so they're not all being pushed into into the court-martialing regime of the police act uh and that's kind of the environment we have now that you know, there's only one way to which to deal with misconduct, and that's through the police act. And that will leave everybody in a very time-consuming, legalistic, narrow approach to problems that doesn't 
create solutions to the issues. And I think that's one of the big steps above even the commission's level was pushing for more legislative reform. What would you say in terms of advice for those who, and you probably dealt with this as well, as the old guard, the ones who didn't want to change because it's been this way for so long and I don't feel like changing. How do you deal with uh, the, that, those sticks in the mud? Well, in any other, you know, particularly in the private sector, there's a simple answer to that question. You just simply replace people who are not pulling along with you. Mm-hmm. And in our environment, even management is in a collective bargaining group. So they're part of a union, essentially a part of a, a bargaining association. So you have to be respectful of that. So you can't run around threatening, you know, job termination if you don't come on board or thinking you can arbitrarily make those kind of decisions. So really it's a case of respecting that some of the old guards going to have to find their natural way out of the organization but spend more time developing people who are about to become management. Uh, make sure that you spend your time to get people in a position that when, by the time they're there, they're fully engaged. They're the where the culture starts to change, where there's a better connection to the workplace. But there simply is not a mechanism to throw away people who are no longer performing. And that's, that's I think that's something that people are a little bit surprised at, but it is a reality and you have to be respectful to these, these bargaining agreements. Did you did anything take you by surprise when you're trying to wade through all these waters? Uh, no, I guess you don't always know uh, about the amplification of the issues, like how loud it's going to get and how intense it will be. But I never it never bothered me that people were uh, passionate and intense about their issues. I think it was probably healthy that they were raising their voices. Uh, the you know that you're there to you know hear some of this. There's no way you can move forward if you don't hear their voices. I think the what what's difficult, what people may not see, is there's it's it's a layer of other big challenges in policing that you have to deal with. So it's there's so many complex issues that uh, you know that you're trying to manage at the same time the business of the service, the performance of the service, the behaviors of the service, uh, you know the the political nature, the discourse. Uh, it's just a lot to deal with at one time, and but you know that's. You know, if a chief thinks they're going to go in there and not have these issues to deal with, then they probably, you know, signed up for the wrong job. What's one thing that you really learned out of everything that you dealt with over the course of your tenure as chief? Wow. Uh, you know, you still are brought back to how important the work is. Uh, when you see the difficulties that the front line is experiencing, and how well they perform in the circumstances uh, it always harkens you back to why we all signed up for policing. And the, you know, so it, it tends to reaffirm your belief in the importance of the institution, the importance of the people that work there. I just watched it recently on TV, the, you know, the uh, homicide investigation that uh, mother and her daughter down south there. And it just gives you a lot of pride about the kind of quality of people that work in the organization and the importance of what they do. And, uh, you know, that's, Still, after all, that's what resonates with you the most. What do you hope your legacy was when it comes to uh, the issues that you spoke about even today? Well, I hope the legacy really is going to be more about the importance of understanding um, our roles and the, the need to be uh, pursue professionalism and accountability at every instance, uh, to never give way to populism or popularity is for leadership. I hope people will really ground on the idea that values are incredibly important, that uh, being 
objective in the execution of your oath of office is something that I hope is left behind, something that leadership will, will continue to pursue. Roger, I do appreciate the time this afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, all the best. You bet. Take care of yourself. Former Calgary Police Chief Roger Chaffin joining us in the program, diving a little bit into some of the uh, issues that he had to deal with over the course of his tenure as chief as he was the guest speaker again at the Calgary Chamber of Voluntary Organizations Speaker Series Nonprofits at noon today. I always felt like Chief Chaffin got a bit of a short end of the stick. I'll put it that way. Always felt like he inherited and he played a very politically correct card in the answer that he gave when I asked, did you kind of inherit some issues? I think every chief has inherited some issues. And I think that there's there's going to come a time and I don't know enough about the, the new chief as to whether or not he's the guy that's going to turn the boat completely around. But it was you're kind of dealing with things on the fly. And even the one report I remember that came out and it was surrounding a 2015 HR report. And I'm going, that wasn't even during his tenure. And yet he had to answer all the questions around it. So I had a lot, uh, a little bit of empathy for Chief Chaffin just for that. So it'll be, I'm really fascinated to see where this file goes, particularly with uh, the new chief uh, now in office. You're listening to Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. It was certainly a lively conversation around the council table. It lit up the phone lines during the Friday free-for-all hint that happens tomorrow between 3 and 4 with Rob and I. And also, uh, it's going to be back in the spotlight again as the city is getting itself ready for an engagement plan and looking at some potential speed limit scenarios as the conversation was had about speed limits in our residential areas. Joining us now from the city of Calgary is lead of traffic safety, Tony Churchill. Tony, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for having me. Talk a little bit about what you are hoping to roll out next month and what you're hoping Calgarians take away from what you're trying to accomplish. So, uh, so next month, uh, June 26th, we're going to be coming back fr- to the Transportation and Transit Committee. Um, they've asked us to look at how we could change our residential speed limits um, through bylaw and how we would um, ch- make changes on our collector roadways. So we're going to be coming back with that, but um, really we're talking about um, just getting approval for our engagement plan, so how we're planning on connecting with Calgarians and finding out what, what their values are related to this. And to do that, we're going to be pre- presenting three scenarios that we could look at about how we could change the bylaw and what speed limits we would be posting on the collector roads. Talk about those three possible scenarios and what you will be bringing to Calgarians. So two of the scenarios are talking about going to a unposted speed limit. So the default limit, if there's no speed limit sign, that would be 30 kilometers an hour on residential roadways. Um, and then one of those scenarios would also have 30 kilometers an hour on the collectors. Um, that would, of course, require some traffic calming along the collectors. The other scenario is looking at maintaining the 50 kilometers an hour speed limits that we have on our collectors right now, but still doing some traffic calming just to bring operating speeds a little bit closer to that legal speed limit. And then the third option is looking at a default speed limit of 40 kilometers an hour, including on the collectors. So the collectors would also be 40 kilometers an hour, but we wouldn't have to put signs up along all of the collector roads. So those are the larger roads and communities 
um, that, for example, have bus routes going through communities. I assume one of the aspects of the engagement isn't just to talk to people who are driving those, but also talking to those who are cycling and walking as well and what the different speed limits could mean to everybody involved. Yeah, so definitely a lot of the uh, the drive behind this and for sure a lot of the discussions that we hear when we're talking about Vision Zero and 30 kilometers an hour, a lot of that has to do with the survivability of pedestrians. Um, but we know from lots of scientific studies that um, moderating our speeds is good for everybody, so even vehicle, motor vehicle occupants. And actually 80% of our casualties, so that's injuries and fatalities in the city, are Calgarians while they're in their cars. So this is also of a benefit for them. Um, so it, it is really about improving safety for everybody, but definitely the, the feeling of comfort and safety um, and reduced noise in our communities, um, those are all some of the potential benefits of having lower operating speeds. And the speed limit is one thing um, that influences that, that choice that motorists make about how fast they drive through our communities. How difficult of a sell do you think this is going to be just based on the fact that a lot of people are sitting there thinking it's going to be more of an impediment for them to get to and from work or to get goods and services around town or the plethora of other reasons why that people don't believe that we need a change? Yeah, so definitely that that, that is the trade-off. It's um, speed of travel um, and, and safety. Um, but when we look at the percentage of the network that we actually drive on, um, on in a, in a usual trip, uh, this, this portion that would have a changed speed limit is actually relatively small. So one tool that we're developing to, to use in our engagement with the Calgarians is a travel time estimator. So similar to Google Maps, where you can set your origin and your destination where you're starting from and going to, and then it will tell you how fast that trip is estimated to be with our existing speed limits, and then also how that, that trip time would change with the different scenarios. So you can see that the travel times really are relatively small uh, in terms of the changes um, and that there are quite significant benefits in terms of the reductions that we would anticipate in terms of uh, injuries happening um, based on what we anticipate the actual change in speed would be. Is there also a hope at the end of the day? At the end of the day, there's a kind of a uh, a uniformity, I guess, to the speed limit, especially in in the residential areas. And I'll use Elbow Drive as probably the famous example. Is for some reason it's forty there, and then in some sections it's thirty, and then it's up to fifty, and then sixty, and it's kind of all over the map that way. And I know it's not a residential street, but at the same time, uh, giving people a, a bit of an idea as to maybe some uniformity to the discussion around speed limits. Yeah, that's definitely a big part of the conversation. Um, so there are, there are certainly opportunities to simplify that a little bit for motorists and just have more clear expectations about what the uniform behavior is when we're in neighborhoods. Um, so we did see improvements when we harmonized our school zones and playground zones. So first we made the times the same and then we actually took out all of the school zones so that just it's playground zones and they're in effect 365 days a year. And we did see improvements in speed compliance and resulting um, reductions in injuries um, in those zones. So that speaks to the benefit of uniformity. Um, and so that's, that's definitely one thing that we're talking about with these options. And you mentioned that in June next month, you're going to be looking to approach city council with this idea or city committee with this idea. Uh, when would the rollout or how would the rollout work from that point on once you get through uh, the public consultation? 
Right. So to be clear, yeah, we're really just asking for direction to proceed with the consultation. We will be coming back to council in uh, to committee of council in December of this year, and that's when we'll be presenting what we heard from from citizens through the engagement, um, the work that we've continued to do. Uh, in terms of our technical analysis and how those two go together um, to come up with a recommendation to council. And in December is when we'll be talking about um, what the implementation plan, so the rollout, when the bylaw would come into effect, what education and enforcement practices we would have to go along with whatever other work we're doing. Um, that will be the time that we're talking about that. Um, and so it'll be um, you know, that's that's when we'll be presenting that, but for sure it's going to be further down the road, 2020, um, that we would be starting to, to do some of those things. Um, but we don't have a clear picture yet of what that looks like, um, and we certainly haven't uh, made any decisions on exactly what we're moving forward with. We need to continue with the work of engaging with citizens before we get there. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about this uh, as we approach next month. Tony, I do appreciate the time this afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, thanks. Tony Churchill is the lead for traffic safety at the City of Calgary. He is also the chair for the Canadian Association of Road Safety Professionals Conference, which is starting in Calgary this weekend. He'll also be a guest speaker. I believe that's going down at Hotel Arts. Uh, you can go to carsp.ca uh, if you want to check out more on that front. And again, there's going to be a lot more discussion. I have a feeling surrounding uh, speed limits. I've, I learned during the course of the last conversation, uh, last time we had this conversation, is my opinion on it is not valid because I live in Airdrie and we have a 30K speed limit in Airdrie. It, does any, everybody actually go 30? Not even a little bit. That being said, is it a little slower? I will give them that. There's also a lot more uh, roundabouts, I find. Maybe it's just my community. Anyways, a few thoughts. Scalger today on 770 CHQR. Let's go to the phone lines now and talk about a story. Uh, Quest in the Community Energy Knowledge Action Partnership has, has been granted f- funding from the Federation of Canadian Mis- Municipalities to work with five different communities across Canada to help them reach significant carbon emission reduction targets. And one of those communities is the town of Canmore. Joining us now is the sustainability coordinator for the town, Lori Risling Wynn. Lori, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Hi, yes, thanks for having me. What does this funding do for your community and what are you hoping to implement? Yeah, so we, um, we've we had a pre- previous relationship with Quest and they reached out to a number of the communities that they've been working with in the past um, if they wanted to participate in this particular project. And it's it's actually titled Accelerating the Implementation of Renewable Energy. So Kemor is one of five municipalities across the country um, that are working on this project with Quest. And the intent is to identify renewable uh, resources, renewable potential within our community and and dive a little deeper into some of the issues that um, that can come with siting renewable facilities within municipalities. So trying to understand some of the um, concerns of the community and work through some community engagement scenarios and tools um, to help accelerate that implementation. So has the work already begun then or is it to begin? 
it's it's really just kicking off. We've had a couple of organizational meetings with Quest and other municipal partners, um, and they have engaged um, some mapping specialists from the University of Waterloo, actually, in Ontario, who will be doing a technical mapping exercise of the town of Canmore, um, and from there we'll be um, looking to see what resources we do have available and trying to engage the community where it's relevant. Well, what kind of op- uh, opportunities do you think are available to you in Canmore? Well, the most the most obvious one uh, is solar. Um, there potentially is um, opportunities for wind, although uh, within the town of Kemmer boundaries, I'm not certain how, or it remains to be seen how um, how much wind potential we have. But other things like biomass, so looking at um, using our biosolids or organics um, from our waste collection programs, um, potentially as a resource for renewable energy. Um, so, you know, we do have a few things that we potentially could bring forward, uh, depending on the results of the technical mapping. What do you hope to accomplish at the end of the day with these projects and with these different ideas being floated out there for the community to take a look at? Well, the Town of Canmore recently passed a new climate action plan, and in there we're hoping to set a target for renewable energy. Um, so that's definitely one thing that we want to understand better is what is our capacity, uh, and then try and understand what resources might be available to us. So um, given that we do want to set a target for renewable energy, we need to figure out how we're going to get there. Uh, and so that would certainly be an objective of the study is to give us additional information that demonstrates um, what our path forward uh, might look like with respect to developing renewable energy within the community. Lori, thanks so much for shedding some light on what you guys have been working on out in Canmore. Super, thanks for the call. Lori Rissling Wynn, the sustainability coordinator over in the town of Canmore. Again, one of five communities named across the country. Uh, given some funding from the Federation of Canadian Municipalities to work on different programs towards uh, reducing the carbon footprint in their communities. And we'll have to check back in and just see what they've learned, if they've done anything, if they're doing anything, that kind of thing. So uh, looking forward to that. I alluded to this earlier on in the show and wanted to revisit it here because I feel like I got a few people's uh, blood pressure up there. And so I want to bring it back down again. And I want you to hearken back to your childhood. I've done that a couple of times this week. Think of some of the best meals you had as a kid that you no longer have. I'm thinking like sloppy Joe's, for example. Now, I can't say sloppy Joe's. Without hearing a little bit of this particular movie. <laughs> I made them extra sloppy for you. <laughs> I know how you kids like them sloppy. <laughs> Lady, you're scaring us. Ah, uh, Billy Madison. I'm thinking like chicken fingers or even fish sticks for that matter. When you're an adult, you're not allowed to have, you know, Captain Highliner, for example. Never been to sea, Billy. No Captain Highliner. Sometimes the waves get so high, you can't eat your dinner. A pity when it's Highliner fish you're trying to catch. Because just when you spy one of them tempting pieces, another wave will hit you. Captain Highliner ought to know. When you do get your fork in, Highliner's the best fish you ever tasted. (laughs) The best of the sea from Highliner.
If you ever have a bunch of time that you want to waste, go to YouTube because you end up finding yourself down so many rabbit holes because you go, hey, I just thought I'd Google old school commercials or Google YouTube search old uh, old uh, food commercials. And yeah, don't do that because you end up wasting a whole bunch of time. Now, the reason I got on that topic of conversation, saw a post on the Daily Meal called 25 Childhood Dinners You Forgot Existed. It's not that you forgot, but you almost get guilted when you're an adult into having to eat more healthy, quote unquote. We know that we don't eat totally healthy, and especially once you turn into an adult, you start having adult beverages and that kind of thing, which make up for you know the extra fats and stuff that you end up uh, putting on. But like stuffed shells, hamburger helper, KD, like you have to make the good stuff instead of having the regular. Granted, when you're a college student, all rules are off. So going through that story and ended up at another one. This is why your grandparents call dinner supper. To which I ask the question, isn't dinner supper? Everybody I know for some reason is like, hey, you want to go for dinner? I was under the impression dinner was lunch. I always knew dinner as lunch. And I got a couple, and I, I wish I had like 35 minutes of no commercial radio. Because apparently there is a whole past involved in how... Each of the different um, meals were named, and at one point it wasn't lunch; it was it was sort of a derivative of munch because or nunch, sorry, because it was noon. I'm getting looked at weird for some reason, but apparently I grew up on the farm and everything was a little backwards. And apparently I'm an old soul because to me supper happened at supper time. Dinner was at lunch. There's brunch. I always called. I, I thought like that mid-afternoon snack was lupper. Another texter said, how about dunner? I'm okay with that. If this was Twitter right now, this conversation would be hashtag fat kid problems. Scalcrete today on 770 CHQR. Yesterday in the news and also after five o'clock, we touched on this whole Idaho stop thing. It's that rolling stop that most vehicles, I would say, happen to do when they're going through a stop sign. Uh, The Transportation and Transit Committee over at City Hall wanting to start a conversation with the province to examine changes to the Traffic Safety Act, which would make it easier for bicycles to travel on city roadways by allowing those Idaho stops. It's been in place since 1982 in many jurisdictions. Cyclists coming up to a stop sign, they can just yield instead of uh, going to a complete stop if it's safe to do so, of course. And it did raise a few concerns around the table, particularly when it comes to Councillor Sean Chu, uh, who had a few things to say about it. What about good for the goose, good for the gander? The vehicle has called a California stop. As a police officer before, I, I pull people over for that. Right? I give a ticket. But... A lot of people say it doesn't hurt anything. Now, Councillor Giancarlo Carra said the idea of cyclists being allowed to yield and not stop at a stop sign if the intersection's clear has been implemented in several states uh, over a decade ago. It was passed into law in Oregon, and there hasn't been a major issue. Because if there was, you'd definitely hear about it, and the Idaho stop would not be growing, it would be shrinking. 
So that conversation has come and gone, but a new conversation has come up and it's surrounding the idea of a cycling coordinator, which to which I went, pourquoi? And I, I, there's a lot of questions that I have, um, but the first one was, is this even a real thing? So I just did quick Google search and sure enough, the city of Calgary has a posting up. Get into some of those in just a second, but I want to bring in somebody who uh, brought this up at committee and will likely be bringing it up again on Monday when council meets. Uh, Councillor Joe Maglioka joining us on the program. Uh, greetings, Councillor. Hey, you're welcome, uh, Joe. <laughs> As we were talking during the commercial break, uh, I happen to be the other Joe. You're the real Joe when it comes to this conversation, but that's for a different day. Councillor, I do want to ask right off the bat. Do we need a cycling coordinator? Do we need a walking coordinator in your eyes? Well, uh, Joe, let me just back up a little bit. Yesterday we discussed uh, about a, a law that's called the Idaho uh, Stop. Mm-hmm. And uh, when John Carl brought that to uh, to get to the committee yesterday, I was flabbergasted. I was just blown away. You know, why can't a cyclist obey the law just like a car would in the streets? There's public streets. They obey the law on the streets. And, uh, and then, you know, I started looking into more and more stuff, what's going on with the cycling. So I went on the uh, website and I saw hiring a coordinator at $133,000. And then just a little bit down, there's a walking coordinator for $133,000. You know what? That just drives me nuts. And uh, you know what? I got to tell you something. You know, our department heads have got to start uh, spending our money more wisely. You know, it's, just, it's getting out of control. What is happening on that front? I mean, we have a transportation uh, manager. We are a general manager. We have a transportation department. I would have thought that all of these different uh, silos would be working together. And this almost seems like, hey, we're going to create more positions so that we can work in silos on the different issues that surround our commutes. I, I agree with you 100 percent. I, you know, I can't be everywhere at once. You know, we trust our department heads to do the right decision with tax dollars. And you know what? This was just a fluke that I ran into this because then I can make light of it and I can tell the story to people. And then, you know what? Maybe they get their hands spanked. But uh, I am definitely going to be bringing it up in council on uh, Monday. What is your message to particularly the transportation department as we're going through? Uh, and, and granted, we do have issues surrounding cycling. We do have issues around pedestrians. We should be working on this. But at the same time, is it worth going and spending some more money and trying to coordinate things? You know, you know, Joe, like, you know, I'm all for cycling. You know, we want to make sure the, the gravel is swept of the cycle track, make sure it's plowed and all. I don't have a problem with that. But, you know, we start now hiring and doing what you said, put it into silos. I have an issue there, paying somebody $133,000 a year just sitting around and saying, yeah, maybe the cycle track needs snow plowing tomorrow, or we got to do a different route, or we got to do something that we'll figure it out. You know, transportation's got the technology. We've got a lot of resources in our transportation department. They should be doing that. It sounds to me like you haven't been given a whole lot of answers yet as to what these positions actually are going to entail, because that might clear some of the, the misconceptions out there, if there are any. Joe, you're absolutely right. It brought to light yesterday, and I brought it out to light uh, for the public to hear about it. And, uh, yes, definitely going to be getting a lot more answers on this and questions that I have also is going to arise from it. What other questions would you have? Why? 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 And a walk-in coordinator. Why? 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 Pretty straightforward and to the point. Counselor, I do appreciate the time this afternoon. Thank you so much. 
Well, hey, Joe, thanks a lot. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. Have a great day. You as well, Councillor Joe Maglioka joining us in the program. Why, why, why do we have not only a cycling coordinator, but also a walking coordinator? I'm more than happy to have these conversations at some point with somebody within the Transportation Department of the City of Calgary. Because again, I thought that we should be having the fulsome conversation amongst everyone instead of it feels like this is creating uh, uh, silos. And just, uh, I did look up the job posting. Um, it is, to be fair, uh, Mr. Maglioka saying 133000 per year. This is actually, the range is 88000 to 135000 ish There's a few other numbers involved. Uh, context. I take that job. Just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon.